Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, welcome everybody. This is Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. And we, we enjoyed our, our one-week break last week. We looked at the book of Philemon, and that was a fun journey. And it was a unique journey for us as, as Professor D interviewed Big Rev versus the other way around. And if you have not heard that on our uh, on the podcast, please check out that episode. It is, a, it is a one session book of the Bible, and we had a great job at that. Did you enjoy last week, Mick? I loved it, man. It was really fun. We got to discuss slavery. We talked about uh, social justice, and we, we, we touched on a lot of things. Yeah. It's just one of those books of the Bible where you read it and you realize, well, gosh, I have to start thinking about certain concepts that being in the Bible. Yeah, so we are going to be in the third chapter of Philippians. We, we will re- be resuming Philippians, our journey here tonight. So we are in Philippians chapter three. Let me begin us here with a word of prayer, then we'll journey forth. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And we've been so blessed so far, Lord, as we've studied these small epistles, epistles of, from, from Paul and the great theology they've contained and just the great, the great truths that guide us and, and the guide us in our relationships, how we, how we ponder this life that we live. And we're just so grateful for your word and for the opportunity we have tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Philippians 3, we're beginning here. Uh, well, it looks like our first question begins with the opening verse. Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Uh, what's he, what was Paul communicating here, Professor D? Well, Paul is telling us that we can be joyful because of, because of Jesus. That in the midst of when, when we by conventional wisdom shouldn't be happy or, or joyful, that because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he did, and the example that he set for us, and, and what I mean by that is the suffering, and ultimately, his vindication, as we saw in chapter two, we need to find joy in that. And, and, and that's it. We need to find joy in that. This is not a suggestion. This is, this, this is, a, this is an imperative. Um, to find joy in Jesus' act, uh, actually, what I meant to say is to not find joy in Jesus, actually, I think, puts to danger our, our, our walk in the faith. And, and that's why, why I think, what I think he means that, you know, uh, by, by it, it is safe for you. Because, you know, it, it is a good thing. We, we, we need to be told, rejoice. We got reasons for it. Right. If I'm, if I'm journeying with a husband, he's not going to be surprised if I bring out Ephesians 5.25. Mm. He needs to be reminded, mm-hmm. hey, lo- love your wife sacrificially like Jesus loved you. And so that, that, that is, it's no trouble for me at all to bring that out to you. And so, so I guess the, the Philippians are not surprised that Paul's bringing certain things up again. Yeah. All right, well, we continue here. Two to three. Look out for the dogs. Oh, he's going to use a pejorative. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So, Mick, who are these uh, quote unquote dogs and mutilators of the flesh? Who's he talking about here? No, these are Paul's constant troublemakers and pretty much in all of his epistles. And those are the Judaizers. Those are the guys who essentially say that, that we have to do things in order to be saved. 
these are the guys that, that were constant thorns at his sides. And he rightly calls them evildoers or dogs because Jesus made clear that salvation can only be had by grace through faith in him. To tell people that there's, that there's a different way for salvation is basically tantamount to, to making Jesus and the gospel out to be a lie. And regarding as far as the mutilators of, of the flesh bit, you know, one of the biggest emphasis of these salvation by works types is an emphasis on, on, on needing to get that circumcision done, as if somehow a circumcision could actually ever make anyone moral or sinless. What, what they failed to understand was that circumcision, even in the Old Testament, was really only meant to be the symbol that they were saved at best, and not salvation itself. In, in, the, in the circumcision, and, and for that matter, for any religious ritual, what happens is that faith gets shifted onto performance of, of our flawed performance instead of the, the, the perfect, all-encompassing work of Jesus and, and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, ultimately. Right. And this, this next question, it seems to be a Professor D kind of question, because Paul seems to be focusing on the, his, his opponents want to do the circumcision, but he's telling his opponents, hey, Philippians, we, we are the circumcision. So how how were the Philippians the circumcision versus these dogs who were trying to do the circumcision? What, what was yeah. what was it about that? Yeah, you know, so it kind of goes, again, back to that idea that the circumcision is only a symbol of a truth or of a, of a reality. Paul and the Philippians had already trusted Jesus as Lord. Mm. Curious, as we saw from chapter two again, because that, you know, chapter two looms large throughout this book. Right. For salvation in, in that sense, their circumcision, you know, the Paul's and the Philippians and ours, I hope as well, is a circumcision of the heart and of the spirit. And it's far more legit than an outward physical ritual circumcision. Right. So you say, hey, we're worshiping in the spirit of God. Yeah. We're glorying in Christ. We're not putting confidence in this fleshly stuff. That, that, yeah. That's flesh. We're worshiping in spirit. Yeah. And, you know, it takes me back to John chapter four, where Jesus says, you know, the father's not looking for people to worship me here or there. Again, religious places, religious rituals. God's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah. This takes us back to Galatians, too, where they were wanting mm -hmm. to add fleshly matters. Yeah. Hey, you're 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 in this relationship with Christ because of the spirit. So don't think you're going to be able to add flesh to this and, and, and change anything. It's the you're, you're in the spirit. Yeah. So here he's just re reinforcing that here. This is the great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so four to six continues. And so he finishes out here that we, we put no confidence in the flesh, but then he's going to transition. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I, and this is Paul writing, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. So let, let's take a walk through Paul's confidence or his resume. Mick, what do you have for us? All right. Well, to be clear, so that no one fulfills the law perfectly, not even an upstanding guy like Paul the Apostle. You know, and, and to be, and, you know, and he even, uh, he even develops this in Romans 7, verses 7 and 8, where Paul clearly says, hey, I struggle with coveting and the law made that clear to me. Right. You know, so the greater point that Paul is trying to make is that by human standards, a bar that is far infinitely lower than God's mind you, <sighs> Paul himself would probably be that, that one guy whom you might be able to say that he could rely on his resumes as a basis of salvation. 
and I and I strongly emphasize might, both in terms of the, of circumstances. Again, he can't control the fact that he was born a Jew and that he was circumcised. That was done to him by his parents. So can he really even take credit for that? No, that 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 was just a, a hodgepodge of circumstances. He was born a Jew, and his parents were faithful enough to take. That actually has more to do with his parents' faithfulness. And in terms of his accomplishments, well, Paul was at the top of the food chain. Uh, you know, he was the alpha dog of alpha dogs among the Pharisees. So he's setting up the conversation for what he's going to follow up in the next couple of verses, though. But even Paul really doesn't qualify. Right, because he's, he's going to continue his argument about confidence, mm -hmm. but, but it starts with the basic idea of, yeah, okay, you want to have confidence? We can talk confidence. I mean, yeah, you want exactly. to talk about fleshly matters? I mean, it's like, I can bring my resume out if you need me to. I mean, he's going to make a bigger point here, as we're going to mm -hmm. see, but he starts by just saying, hey, you, you, you want to make this about a resume? Well, fine. Uh, I, I will entertain you for a second, yeah. but let me, let me now bring out mine. And yeah. let's, let's just see what you have to say now. And then, then he's going to shift gears. And so we're going to see how he shifts gears in seven to nine. And I got to bring it up here. Okay. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All right. So what is the basic message of this profit loss business argument Paul was making, Mick? Well, he starts off by saying, whatever gain I have, in other words, you know, uh, whatever advantages he may have had, he, he was born under the right religion, whatever advantages he had from checking all the right boxes, whether it's career choices or, or, or whatever, when it comes to salvation, none of that matters. None of that could get him to, to Jesus or heaven. And, you know, knowing Jesus as Lord and the salvation that, that goes alongside that is really the greatest thing to happen to him and really to any of us um, who, who get to know Christ as Lord. Um, it's infinitely and incomparably better to know, and, and again, and really, it's more to be known by Jesus than to have a gazillion followers on, on all the social platforms, you know, nothing in life compares to Jesus, you know, and, and all this happens as it's, and he's, as he closes this little portion off here, and all of this happens by faith. Right. And anybody who's in the business world, some of our listeners may, 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 may run businesses, they may be involved in, in, in more business matters. And anyone who's involved in the business understands some of its loss. You have to, you have to absorb your losses or some business expenses. You just have to absorb. There's always going to be some loss somewhere and some expense somewhere, but you're hoping in the gain. So, so Paul's saying here, yeah, there's going to be loss here, but there's also going to be gain. And I like, I like Mick, how you unfolded that for us. So what was Paul willing to lose? I think the real question is, is what, what wasn't he willing to lose? Oh, nice. He already said it, even death is a gain when you're in Christ. Nice. And so what was gained? So if he's willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ, what is he getting out of it? What, 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 in Paul's business model here, what is being gained? So the gain is really Jesus. I mean, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is more important than even being spared from, from hell and, and, and going to heaven and, and resurrection. You know, knowing Jesus and, and that is having an intimate, and right relationship with him is what makes salvation salvation. 
hell and any real loss is not having not being with god the, the more and more that 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 I, I read scripture and i reflect on it the more that 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 i pray and, and the closer to that that i come to god you know and i'm not saying i'm all there yet but i mean the closer i keep drawing towards god you know i've, I've come to, to to the startling realization that it's all really about the person of jesus Amen. And in verse nine, he gives us blessings. Make one of one of your favorite phrases we've gone through these these uh, these small epistles is be the in Christ. So what are the great blessings he speaks of in Christ here? Oh, you got me laughing there for a moment. Um, you know, uh, but you know, hey, let's be clear about one thing. I may be saying it in, in, in the, the context of these classes, but the fact of the matter is, Paul's writing this all the time. Yeah. You know, and, and to the earlier point on salvation, salvation isn't even really heaven or salvation uh, or resurrection itself, which are definitely a big part of it, mind you. But but it's it's really Jesus. It really comes to to the person of Jesus. We need to be connected to our creator. And Jesus is our creator. Nice. Yeah. And this and this is the this passage of scripture is, is infamous in, in the. The, the more language or linguistic world because it has a, a, a word that, that Paul uses that is probably not a good word. He, he counts them as rubbish. And that's probably a, a very clean way to put it. It's kind of like the stuff you dump out your, your window and your bedpan kind of thing. He's, and that, that's how little he considers the, the, this, this whatever he's gained by his advantages. All right. So we have uh, anything more you want to say from verses seven or nine before we move forward, Mick? No, I, I think that pretty much sums up a lot of it. I mean, obviously, we can spend more time talking about it, but then uh, these things would never be over. Right. In Christ, in Christ. Okay, so we have here 10 and 11. Okay. That I may, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, be, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attend the resurrection attain the resurrection from the dead. Oh my goodness. So there's kind of four key words to unpack here. We have know, we have share, we have becoming and obtain. So, so what did Paul want to know? All right. So again, knowing has to do with knowing Jesus on a more relational and personal level. And as I constantly keep saying, this is not about academia and it's not about trivial pursuit. You know, the, there's a famous uh, group called the Jesus Seminar. They may, they know more logistical things about jesus they are not in a relationship with jesus um so it's not about that so the real question is are you in a relationship with jesus do you listen to him by re reading scripture and do you interact with him by reading scripture sure. and, and are, are you praying with him um but but this is not like a religious checklist like read your bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 you know this is more than that you know it's about really having a relationship with the creator of the universe i'm really trying to understand my creator uh, and this also includes being convinced of the reality of the resurrection mm. and the power behind it, you know, that, that the, far, the fact that God has the power to do this for real. Are you convinced about the resurrection? That this to me is, is part and parcel with the deal. Um, so the next word, share, right? Yeah. So to share, it, this has to do, uh, is to, share, to share in his suffering means that that I'm willing to suffer with Jesus in humility for the sake of the gospel. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Jesus suffered fools when he was walking on earth. He didn't have to, but he did. Uh, he suffered circumstances, the humble circumstances at that. And he suffered the cross for the sake of our salvation. It wasn't even for his benefit. It was for our benefit. So the truth of, of, is this. Most of us will probably not be called to some sort of radical mar martyr style suffering. I mean, that's just the, the reality of it. You know, we could be, but I, I don't think the odds are there. However, in every circumstance, whether it's suffering the premature loss of a loved one uh, to, or injustice in society or in the workplace or, 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 or terminal, a personal terminal illness or debilitating injury, and, or even the noise on the home front. And usually I'm talking about like the stupid things that you have to deal with with your teenagers at home or your teeny boppers at home, or even if, if you happen to be related to me, my brothers, you know, are we really willing to suffer I mean, and then what I mean by suffering is mean to set aside our whatever so that the light of Jesus can shine brighter. And I, I like really what you said about deny myself. And, and that's actually a lot easier said right. than done. I really like what you said about humility there. I, th I think that to share his sufferings, what you're, you're really, you're, 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 show, you're sharing his humility no matter what you may have. Yeah. To face. And so becoming like him in his death, what, what, what about becoming here? Yeah. So again, becoming like, like Jesus in his death. The whole point of suffering, and I'm going to call this the middle part of salvation is generally called sanctification. And it, it, it's the idea is to become like Jesus. We need to learn obedience. You know, as God's children, we need to learn obedience. So the real question is, why did Jesus suffer through death? As we discussed earlier, and as we saw in chapter two, notice how we keep going back to chapter two. Jesus suffered through death to save sinners. Are we willing to suffer what's necessary so that others, it's not even necessarily always about our benefit, but that's so that others may benefit from Christ. Wow. And, and I'll be honest, you know, on the, on the home front, I have failed this countless times. When I think of all the, the, the dumb arguments I get with my kids, um, this is a sober reminder that I have a ways to go in becoming like Jesus in his death. And, and, and again, chapter two, it pointed out, it's tied to a lack of humility on my part, you know, and I have a ways to go in this area. Wow. I appreciate your, your vulnerability there, my friend. I, I think all of us listening to these words, we, we, we all realize that we have, we have ways to go. And especially we're, we're kind of like Peter when, when that great miraculous catch yeah, yeah. is Peter just going to gets on his knees and says, get away from me, Lord, I'm sinful. It's like he just hears the closer you get to Jesus to realize the more the more you realize that you're not Jesus and the the, the work that needs to be done. And yeah, uh, and this this fat this this last one here in verse 11 is that it might be a little bit more difficult that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So so no share becoming. And now the last word in this section, obtain. Yeah. Mean here? So here's the thing. As we join Jesus in suffering through our sufferings and our becoming like him in his death. We also share in his resurrection and glory, you know, so it's not all bad, you know, it's not all, you know, so another way to understand, I think, obtain is to take is better uh, uh, to take hold of. And so what it's definitely not saying is earning. We're not earning anything. OK, I want to make sure that we understand it. So this thing about obtaining is not equal to earning the resurrection, which is tied to the final stage of salvation, can only be had by by putting our trust in, in in christ and anything that 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 comes after that you know obedience comes after faith 
Yeah, I, I definitely see linking to, you know, becoming like him in death and then uh, attaining the resurrection. It's, it, it's, it's almost like Paul seeing some glorious goal here in mind that mm -hmm. he is, he's maybe it almost sounds like he's being vulnerable for one second and that he knows that he has, this, this is the same guy that talks about Christ being in the Corinthian letter, being the first mm -hmm. fruits. And so the great deposit of our resurrection, yeah, it's almost like Paul is being kind of a little bit real or authentic in terms of his struggle. And, yeah. and he's, and he's going to talk about pressing on here. So he's like, I, I just hoping that, that there's something about this, that he's struggling right now, but this great hope in Christ that we will be resurrected, that that can indeed come to pass. It's, it's almost like he's just struggling with that concept, not theologically struggling, but he, as he, as he is journeying in this life, he's seeing that as the big thing to, to strive for. Yeah. And the big thing that he's not accomplishing it, like you said, but it, it almost sounds like it's on his mind yeah. like by any means that he, yeah. he may obtain this. This may be something that becomes his reality. And I mean, I, I, did, I see that as maybe a vulnerable moment for Paul and yeah. it speaks to us. Well, good job, Mick. Those are two, two great theological verses there that we all need to, to hold on to. So now 12 to 16 and not that I've already obtained this. So now there it is. There's the vulnerability again. So he's, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So not that I've already attained this, because he's obviously he's not resurrected, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who, who are mature think this way. And if anything you anything you think otherwise, and if anything you if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. All right. So we'll start with uh, verse 12. Why does Paul press on? Well, simply put, because when it, when it comes to revering God, uh, becoming like Jesus, and learning to obey Him, we we have ways to go. If Paul did. You better believe that the rest of us do too. I keep referring to this. This is what, what Paul is talking about when he when he write, he starts off this letter in, in chapter one, verse six, you know, and, and as verse 12 ends, we are we already belong to Jesus, which is a great right. reminder. Yeah, it's like he links that why right to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's like he's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> he's already entered this relationship. So why would I want why would I not want to press on? All right, so now that's the why, but now verse 13, how does Paul press on? Well, he presses on by staying focused on Jesus, looking forward and heavenward, as he says. He, he doesn't dwell on his past sins. He doesn't dwell on his victories, for that matter. He, he keeps his focus on, on Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, and so in verse... And that requires 14, intentionality, mind you. That's right. That's exactly right. Verse 14, in what direction does Paul press on? So we looked at why, now how, now in what yeah. direction? What, what so as I mentioned in there? the previous uh, questions, you know, the idea of forward and upward and onward, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see more of this when we get into, Col I, you know, I, I, I'm excited when we about getting to Colossians, especially chapter three, verses one through four in a couple of weeks, because this is one of the things that he unpacks there very nicely. But it's the idea of forward, onward, upward. In other words, you got to know the direction of who you're looking at. And Jesus is forward and upward. He's not behind. 
you know, and he's not downward. He's moving you in the right direction. Yeah, I, I like the image he uses here because I mean, I, I've got I've got two little dogs, and one of the dogs is a bit more athletic. She's a bit larger. She can do more things. The other one's a little, you know, stubby-legged chihuahua. And I, I'll be sitting on the couch and I'll pat Does the cushion. Does count as a dog? I, the little yapper dog. She's a feisty little thing. She thinks she runs our house. She thinks she runs our house. Anyway, I, oh, the, the other dog, I can, I get to say, hey, come on up, you know, and then I'll pat the, I'll pat the couch and she'll jump right up. With a little chihuahua, I've got to be really, you know, come on, come on, come on. She has to get a running start. And the, my point I'm making is both of the dogs will come up on the couch because I'm calling them up. And here's this idea here is Paul is pressing on following the upward call of God. It's like mm -hmm. God is calling him and God is calling him throughout this life. And, you know, for those of us who have read Romans, we understand the call of God, you know, is the call that leads to salvation. And now that he continues to live a life worthy of this calling. And so here he is pressing on as a part of this calling. And there's a definite place, a definite perspective he has as he presses on. And I just like that he tucks that into verse 14, Mick. Yeah. This, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's great. Now in verses 15 to 16, Paul looks like he just kind of cements this at home. What's he saying here in these two verses? Well, Paul essentially says that this is how the spiritual mature look like. Um, as, as, for, as for those who are not spiritually mature, God will eventually bring them up to speed, but we need to be vigilant and intentional. That, that's what Paul means when he says that we have to hold on to the progress that we have made. Yeah. It's almost like he's saying, you know, you can disagree with me all you want, but, you know, then God's going to have to work on you too because yeah. it's this is not something we can disagree on yeah all right 17 to 21 he's going to bring this home here brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for many of whom i have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of christ their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Wow. We'll start in verse 17, Professor D. What positive intentional thing were they to do? Well, Paul says to imitate him and, and all those who are good Christian role models, those who, who live whose lives demonstrate that, that they are focused on Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And so in verse 18, he gives a positive thing. Now, what negative intentional thing were they to avoid? Well, he can mean one of two things, either beware of false Christians or beware of immature carnal ones. Generally, though, when Paul uses they, them pronouns, he's usually referring to those that are unsaved. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it seems like he was doing that in, in the Galatians. Yeah. To, to, to the Galatians. When he was talking about, you know, us, me, you, to speaking to the Galatians. Then when he started talking about they or them, it was these Judaizers. It was the enemies. And so it's Philippians is usually taken as, as one of, of Paul's letters where not made, much is, is made of enemies. But it seems like there's enemies here, too. Yeah. And he, speak, he spoke of that in chapter one, especially, you know, the, these opponents that, you know, you, you're able to live a certain way and it's going to, you know, be like a curse to them and a sign for you. 
And and here these guys are are, are picking up. How did you put it? They're, they're the the usual opponents of Paul, the the people oh, yeah. of the flesh. Yeah. And yeah, it's like don't be like them. So if, if you're gonna, so it it gives us an idea you're going to imitate somebody. So imitate yeah. imitate the ones who are following Jesus. Don't imitate the ones yeah. who are not following Jesus. Right. And so that could apply both to the cardinal Christians and the uh, and the could. lost. It could. And if those of us they may remember the uh, a long time ago we did a journey in Hebrews, and there was like the the yeah but kind of Christian who yeah who just says yeah I, I agree with it but I can't do it and there you know and we don't want to follow the yeah buts out there the ones who always seem to have an excuse not to live Christ's way, and we we don't want that we want the ones who are broken and who are humble and who are seeking to. Um, you know, I just, I just got done. I'm, I'm journeying with, with a young husband and, and, you know, I've, I've been very direct with him on things that need to change. And the, the certain ways a biblical husband needs to be is stuff that I've learned. And I just, I've, I've come kicking and screaming in my life and to finally start putting these things into practice and seeing, you know, being a biblical husband in my own life. And so I'm sharing these things with him and, and he didn't come kicking and screaming. He willfully and joyfully made changes in his life. And, he comes and reports to me how his wife is just can't believe how things are changing and the people he's journeying with. And I'm like, yes, when we do the things we should be, we we're intentional about the right things. And we, we try to live God's way. Great things can happen. God, it's amazing when, when you put Christ first, what happens in your life. So here we have, you're either imitating Christ essentially, or you're not imitating Christ. Yeah. And you're, and, and so if you are, you're going to be intentional about it. So I like that in 17 and 18, a positive intentional thing, a negative intentional thing. And in verse 19, make these enemies, where were they placing their focus? Well, they were focusing in any and all destructive appetites. You know, this includes things like drugs, alcohol, sexual lust. You know, they were focused on bragging about things they really shouldn't have been, that they really should have been ashamed of instead. And, and, and they were materialistic. You know, Jesus, heaven, eternal things were clearly not on their radar. And if they were ashamed about it, Paul says they gloried in their shame. Yeah. It's just kind of like their, their conscience wouldn't leave them alone, but they were playing games with their conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, we're not surprised that earlier in the chapter, Paul called them dogs. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I know it's, it's fun to think about our dogs that are, you know, they're, they're, some of us are having like family members. Um, yeah. Dog was, a, was one of the most unclean creatures, probably, I mean, a vulture or a pig, probably more unclean, but dogs is just they, they, they just were, they were just scavengers in the ancient world and you did not have a dog as a family pet they were just kind of you can picture packs of dogs and so like when jezebel died she got the worst possible death kind of thing when the dogs ate her yeah he calls them dogs uh in the early parts of this chapter and then just like any dog i've ever known i've never known a dog to stop eating if if, if i if i had like a bowl of popcorn or something and the dog wants the pop i could probably keep feeding that dog popcorn all evening they'll keep eating it and so he calls them here. He called them a dog earlier. Then here he says, your God is your belly. Well, that's a dog. A dog's God is clearly his appetite. Every dog I've ever known has always been about their appetites at all times. You have food, they want to bake for your food. You have this, they want that. It's like, that's the way a dog acts. And so that's not the way we're to act. So yeah, I like how you put that, Make they're, they're, they're just focused on the here and now, whatever earthly things they can get. And yeah, and in verse 20, so where were the Philippians, instead of being like these carnal dogs, where were they to put their focus? So again, you know, you know, our, you know, their focus and our focus needs to be in Jesus. 
And Paul reminds us this, and this is very key that he reminds us this, that we are citizens of heaven. Amen. Uh, so how does he land the plane in verse 21? Speaking of heaven. Yeah, so Paul reminds us that God has given us something that that better, that makes all suffering worthwhile. He's, he's giving us something that's infinitely better to make all suffering worthwhile. And, you know, he continually keeps pointing to Jesus and glorious bodies like Jesus. Again, going back to chapter two, in Jesus, we have that ultimate vindication story. In other words, he's telling us it is worth it. Look how it was worth it for Jesus. And he's offering some of that worth itness to us too. It, it's it's a constant reminder that I, I need, and I think we all need. Sure. And we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. Mick, how do you, what are your closing thoughts tonight? Well, in light of everything that Jesus has accomplished on, on my behalf, you know, in light of the, the examples um, and his victory, I, I really, really need to focus and remember to rejoice, you know, uh, too often. And I'm, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm low, I hate to say this, but, you know, too often I look like a defeated Christian. And that happens when I focus on, on my past, you know, I keep thinking about my accomplishments or, or actually I should say lack thereof, you know, and I feel like my constant failures, uh, you know, even on my pleasures, you know, but, but I'm not focusing on Jesus himself. No. And, and that's just it. I, I have, that's something that I need to really focus on Jesus. I have to remember that he is the author and perfecter of my faith and that by gosh, doc, Dog golly, I, I mean, I have reasons to rejoice, and I need to do it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a part of this text tonight that the putting confidence in the flesh. May, maybe if Paul was writing this today, he'd be asking us those who us, uh, so those of us who utilize social media, uh, do, do we begin to live for those little red notifications that people have liked or commented or given you the heart or something? Yeah, I mean, do we start to live for that? I mean. That, I mean, that, that's something where, I mean, it's not confidence, but it's, it's still very temporal and we can live, our day could be, could be completely changed if our favorite person comments or likes or something like that. It's like, there's more, there's more to life than this, that, but yeah, what really grabbed a hold of me, Mick, was in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. And what really got me tonight was becoming like him in his death. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I like the fact that Paul uses uh, a simile there, similes used like or as, because Paul's not telling us that we become dead or that we die. It's the same ideas in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to be living sacrifices. So yeah, we're on the altar, but you know, we're not, we're not the sacrifice. We're, we're, we're a constant sacrifice. Yeah. And so to becoming like him. It reminds me of, of in Galatians 2.20, I have been yeah. crucified by Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. So, I mean, just again, the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus was literal. The crucifixion of me is metaphorical. And so I'm not literally crucified because I'm not, I'm not dead. Um, but can I be metaphorically dying? Is, is, can I be dying to myself? Is there, is there a part of me that is now crucified and now done? And now buried and dead and no longer that that old Joel. It's like that. That's what there's things I need to start and there's things I need to stop. And it's more forceful than that. It's like if I'm going to become like God, like Jesus in His death, 
there's a part of me that needs to be dead, that needs to be no more, that needs to not be revisited, that needs to not be done again and again and again. And in my great hypocritical past, that never was me. And that there's intentionality there about putting to death these things of the body and these things of the flesh. And I, I just, I want to meditate I, as, as I press on, as I forget what lies behind and I'll, and I'll strain towards what, li what, what lies ahead. I think that needs to be the thing that I focus on is, can I become like Jesus in his death? Is there a part of me that can be dead and be done with? And I just, that metaphor is really kicking my rear end tonight. And just, I, I want to, I just want to hang on to that. So as I continue marching, as we travel this side, I think that needs to be something I focus on. Now, maybe I, I can't speak for any of you listening, but that's something tonight as we read this and we studied this, that grabbed a hold of me. Can I become like Christ? I need to become like Christ, but that part of me that needs to be dead, can that become, can I become like Christ in, in his death there? Can I, can I crucify the selfishness that seems to plague me? And that, that, that's what stood out to me tonight, Mick. And I think we need to remember, I think an excellent point there, Joel, is that suffering precedes glory. Hmm. Yeah. Suffering precedes glory. You would think as we suffer, that suffering would lead us to depend more upon God. And it would lead us, it would grow in us a great dependence and a great trust in God. And so therefore, as we suffer and as we trust in God, as we depend upon God, you would think the very natural thing would be, I'm depending upon God. May I now put to death all this other crap that I had been depending on before and living for before. If I truly am living for Jesus, could I just stop living for me? Could I truly do what Jesus requires, which is the denial of the self instead of the pursuit of the self? Like that right there is the great Christian perspective to be able to, to ponder and to, to the, it's like that spiritual two by four that never stops smacking you upside the head because we keep digging back into that bag and we keep going back to the self, to the self. And I'm reading here, Paul's willing to die to himself as he presses on. And he's not going to live for the outside. He's not going to live for the, 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 the fleshly. He's not going to live for the temporal. He's marching towards heaven. Yeah. And he can't wait to attain that resurrection. Wow. What a chapter. We, we ended, we ended with in, in, in fifth gear there, Mick. This is good stuff. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight in Masterclass Theology. We continue next week with the chapter of Philippians that most of you remember the most, Philippians 4. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. This has been Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. God bless you. See you, see you next week. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.